All right, well, hey, we're working our way through Jesus' most famous sermon. Uh, it's a sermon found in Matthew chapters 5 through 7 called the Sermon on the Mount. And it's so important to understand the context for the Sermon on the Mount. It's the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, there are two things that are more important than the most important things. Number one is relationships. Relationships in the kingdom are more important than the most important thing. In fact, every single command that Jesus is going to give in this sermon is given to elevate relationships, the value of relationships, the value of preserving relationships. And then the second thing that's so important in the kingdom that actually transcends the law. See, the law could only focus on our behavior, but in the kingdom, the focus is on our hearts, changed hearts, changed minds, changed lives. So in the kingdom, Jesus goes for the root, not just our behavior. And today we're going to look at Jesus' words regarding divorce and remarriage. And so I want to frame this. Some of you, you know, you're here today and you're concerned about the state of marriage in our society. And you're, you're thinking something along the lines of, man, I just hope this message really hits on the value of, and the sanctity of, you know, that marital covenant and making that promise. You know, some of you are struggling in a marriage and frankly, you're not sure, you know, what you want to hear today. Some of you maybe grew up in a family that, and you went through a divorce when you were a child or a teenager and you still feel the sadness, you know, of that. Some of you have actually been through the pain of divorce as a husband or a wife and maybe even been to a church where they gave a message that, you know, divorce is right up there with the unforgivable sin and that divorced people are somehow, you know, second-class citizens. Well, I want you to know that I've prayed fervently over the last month or so that no matter where you are, um, that this message will offer you hope about the state of marriage and healing if you've come through a failed one. And so listen, I want to just tell you at the outright, we're going to, normally I like to focus on one passage, but we're going to do a survey today. We're going to do some heavy lifting together. I'm going to move rapidly, so you need to stay dialed in with me and be willing to do uh, the heavy work that we're going to do. Deal? You didn't seem completely in, but whatever. All right, so, so way back in the ancient world, before Jesus and even before the Old Testament, the world was governed by something called the Hammurabi Code. So what that meant is if, if you were a wife under that code, your husband could divorce you at any time and for any reason just by walking out of the house. And if you had a husband that walked out of the house, you would be stuck with the kids if there were any. You'd have no money, no opportunities. And to make matters worse, your husband could return anytime he wanted to, reclaim you, reclaim the kids, reclaim the farm. And so what that meant was, even if your wife or husband left, you weren't likely to get another marriage proposal because there was always, you know, the idea of this first husband lurking who could come back and take everything back from you. So if you were a woman in that world and your marriage broke up, you were in big trouble. Women were very, very vulnerable in the ancient world. And one of the amazing things, I think, about the law of Moses compared to the Hammurabi Code was, was its concern for women. 
It was clear from Genesis that God's intent for marriage was for it to be a permanent commitment between a husband and a wife. But in the instances where it did break up, Moses said this. Look at Deuteronomy 24, 1. This is one of the, there are two passages in the Old Testament that framed, that that, uh, created the framework for how the rabbis of Israel taught about marriage and divorce. This is one of them. Deuteronomy 24, 1. If a man marries a woman, but she becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, he may write her a divorce certificate hand it to her and send her away from his house. Now, the certificate was a way of protecting the woman because it meant the first husband could never come back and reclaim her. In fact, every Jewish certificate always had the same phrase on it. The phrase was this, you are free to remarry any Jewish man or any Jewish woman that you wish. So the certificate actually was a way to 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 preserve women um, in case of a divorce. And now the other classic text on marriage from the Old Testament was Exodus 21. And in this instance, the law is covering the question, this question, what happens when a man takes a second wife? What happens to his first wife? And it's also designed to protect the interests of, of his first wife. So here's what it says, Exodus 21, verses 10 and 11. If he takes an additional wife, Now, this is not polygamy. He's saying a second wife. What happens to his first? He must not reduce the food, the clothing, or the marital rights of the first wife. If he does not do these three things for her, she may leave free of charge without any payment. So once again, the law is seeking to protect the woman. In this case, the husband takes a new wife and human nature being what it is, she gets all the good stuff, right? And so Moses says, no, not so fast. That husband still has an obligation to his first wife and that obligation is to provide for her and to care for her. So the law essentially said, look, when that husband married his first wife, he made a vow to provide support, food and clothing, and love. So if he breaks that vow, then the first wife is free to leave, free to get a divorce, free to get a certificate, and free to remarry. This is very important. And over time, the rabbis looked at these two uh, classic texts of the Old Testament, and it provided the framework for how they taught on things like divorce and remarriage. And here's what they said. They said, based on these two texts, we know three things about marriage. Marriage is a vow to do three things. First, it's a vow to be faithful. So in other words, I won't stray. I'll keep the purity of the marriage bed. I, will, I vow to be faithful. That was from Deuteronomy. And then the, these next two are from Exodus 21. It's a vow to provide. I will provide for my spouse. I will give them food. I will give them clothing. And I will give them shelter. And then finally, the third vow that they said you were making, it was a vow to love. To provide things like affection and sexual intimacy and protection. Now when these vows, according to the Jewish rabbis, were broken, 
The victim of the broken vows has a right to get divorced, male or female. That would always include the right to be remarried. That's what the certificate of divorce was all about. There was no such thing in Judaism as a divorce that did not include the right to remarry. Again, that's the whole idea behind the certificate of divorce. So these vows of marriage were so important to the rabbis that they even got very, very specific very detailed about what it looked like to break one of those vows. So they would ask questions like, well, how much food is a spouse required to provide? What about clothing? You know, I mean, like, like, what about conjugal love? And they actually came up with rules around this. I'm not making this up. So for example, the husband had to offer to be physically intimate with his wife at least twice a week or she had the right to divorce him if he didn't do that. They made exceptions in some cases. For instance, if you were a donkey driver, you only had to offer it one time a week. I guess they thought that was like a trucker being on the road. I don't know, but at least there was a grace for that. If the husband was unemployed, he uh, had to make at least make the offer of physical intimacy every single night, seven nights a week, or his wife could divorce him. Unemployment never looks so good to me as it does <laughs> in this moment. Rabbis actually said this stuff, and they were probably all unemployed as rabbis because it seemed to suit them well also. Now, did rabbis believe that biblical grounds for divorce could include things like abandonment or abuse? Of course they did. Abandonment would simply be the extreme form of breaking the vow to to provide. Abuse would be an example of breaking the vow to love. See? So in Israel, all of those things would be grounds for divorce. Now, that did not mean that anybody thought God believed divorce was a good idea. God said he hated divorce, and we'll talk more about the why of that in a minute. It was not, but this was a way of preventing worse injustice and suffering when the marriage vows were broken. That's the framework for marriage and divorce in Israel. Okay, so now let's fast forward to Jesus' time. So in Jesus' day, there were two major schools of thought regarding marriage and divorce, just like there are two major trains of thought around democracy here in America, right? So there was a raging debate. Everyone would have been familiar with this debate. One famous rabbi, his name was Hillel, he looked at the law in Deuteronomy 24.1 when Moses says that a man can give his wife a divorce for a cause of sexual immorality and he reflected on this and because every word mattered to the rabbis and so he lashed on to that word cause right uh, he, he reasoned that this word must refer to another cause other than sexual unfaithfulness, maybe a different grounds for divorce besides sexual immorality. So Hillel interpreted that word cause as any cause, for any reason. A husband can just walk out the door, right? Hillel was a man, by the way, and the rabbis in his school were men, and they decided that this any cause divorce would be available to only one gender. Guess which one? Yeah, you don't even have to think about it hard, do you? Uh, again, and so rabbis actually listed different faults 
that they believed a husband could divorce his wife for under this any cause provision. They listed things like if a wife spoiled her husband's dinner, he could divorce her. If she walked around with her hair unbound, her husband could divorce her because that was considered improper. If she argued in a voice loud enough to be heard in the next house, he could divorce her. If she streamed two consecutive chick flicks from Netflix, he could divorce her. No, that wasn't true. That wasn't there. Netflix didn't exist in Jesus' day. I just made that one up. So Hillel is essentially saying there's a new divorce option available in Israel. It's never been available before. It is the any cause divorce and it is available only to husbands. And so soon, as you might imagine, it became by far the most popular form of divorce in Israel. In fact, When we read the Christmas story, you remember in the Christmas story, Joseph finds out Mary is going to have a baby and they have not been intimate. So he, you know, he does the math and he's like, okay, this woman's cheated on me. So he's considering a divorce. Here's the, here's the verse. Because Joseph did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce Mary That word quietly, that's a technical term. What they're saying is that he was going to do the any cause reason for divorce so that he wouldn't have to cast shame on Mary. He wasn't going to do the one saying she was sexually unfaithful because he didn't want to cast shame on her. So Joseph decided to file an any cause divorce. Now, the, uh, so that's one side. The other side, there was another very famous rabbi, his name was Shammai, who disagreed. He said, no, Deuteronomy 24.1 refers only to divorce being allowed for sexual immorality. Now, of course, Shammai would have agreed that divorce could also happen on the basis of Exodus 21 when the vow for provision was broken or the vow for love was broken. But when it comes to Deuteronomy 24, Shammai said, and any cause divorce is wrong. It's a bad interpretation. It is not correct. And so in Jesus' day, this caused a huge debate uh, between the rabbis who followed Hillel and the rabbis who followed Shammai. And every rabbi wanted to know where every other rabbi stood on this issue. It's like the way in our day we ask politicians, are you a Republican or a Democrat? And depending on their answer, we can kind of know, okay, well, they probably lean this way or they probably lean that way. This was the debate in Jesus' day. It was enormous and huge, and you cannot underestimate that. And so this brings us to the words of Jesus, very similar to his words on the Sermon on the Mount, only here in Matthew 19, they're given more content. We get more background. So I'm going to teach primarily out of Matthew 19, even though he uses very similar words um, in the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew 19:3. Some Pharisees came to test Jesus or to trap him. This is very important. They asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause? What are they saying? What are they doing? They're saying, Jesus, where do you stand on the Hillel-Shammai debate? Where are you? What do you say is the right? Now, remember, 
the reason this is a test and a trap, what did I tell you the most, the most popular form of divorce was in Israel? Any cause. So if Jesus says something different than that, his, some of his followers are going to leave. They're not going to like that. Because Jesus took something that, that most of the people love the most, right, and took it from them. So this is huge. They asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause? Now, they're not asking. Let's be clear about what they're not asking. They're not asking, Rabbi, is divorce always against the law? That wasn't even up for debate. Divorce was allowed in the law of Moses. No rabbi would have ever asked, is it lawful for us to follow Moses' law? No, it was in the law. What they're asking is, Jesus, how do you interpret Deuteronomy 21? Do you agree with Hillel? or Shammai and they're not even interested in his answer because no matter what he says he's going to divide his follow his following ship so he says they came to test him or to trap him so what Jesus does is brilliant he goes all the way back to the beginning of Torah and he quotes Genesis chapter 2 24 he says a man shall leave his father and his mother and the two shall become one flesh so God's purpose for marriage, a husband and a wife make a permanent, intimate commitment to become one, and you can't un-one what God has made one, right? And so then the Pharisees push back. They're prepared for that answer. And so they say, well, why then did Moses command that a woman, that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And here's Jesus' response. No, 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 no. Moses made a concession, not a command. Moses permitted you to divorce your wife, but it wasn't meant, in the beginning, it wasn't meant to be that way, see? And um, in fact, he says, Moses permitted you to divorce because your hearts, what did we say are the two most valuable things in the kingdom? Relationships and hearts, relationships and hearts, because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning, now, because the only grounds that Jesus mentions here is sexual immorality, a lot of people have thought that the New Testament position is that the only biblical grounds for divorce or for divorce and remarriage is adultery. And this has led, I believe, to anguish and heartbreak, confusion, and even hypocrisy. I've heard this kind of thing, and maybe you've thought this through yourself. You mean that if my husband beats me, beats our children, is addicted to drugs and alcohol, steals money, tries to kill me. I have to stay married to him, but if he strays one time sexually, then I can get a divorce. Now, that's, the, that's kind of the argument, right? And people have thought that's what it means to be biblical on this issue. So hear me, hear my heart. In Matthew 19, Jesus is not talking about the whole Jewish framework of marriage and divorce that was part of his world as a rabbi. He is not discussing what will happen when the vows of Exodus 21, the vows to, to provide and the vows to love, are broken. These Pharisees want to know where Jesus stands on the Hillel Shammai debate, and everyone in the room, everyone in the, wherever that teaching was happening, would have known that. Everybody. I mean, a similar situation would happen in our day if somebody asked, Do you think it's okay for a 16 year old to drink? 
We don't even need to provide the word alcohol. You understand what I mean when I ask that question. And this is the way this question would have been understood in Jesus' day. So what they're asking Jesus is, Jesus, what's your interpretation of Deuteronomy 24.1? And Jesus' response to that when pushed was, Shammai's right, Hillel is wrong. There is no such thing as an any cause divorce. And the Pharisees were hoping that at least half of Jesus' audience would walk away. They were certain it would divide his followership. So, uh, and so, you know, he would have shared the understanding that biblically where the vows of marriage are broken, not just the ones in Deuteronomy 24, but the ones in Exodus as well, that where there is hard-heartedness, then divorce will regrettably sometimes be the only option. Again, that's what the certificate of divorce was all about. So let me be clear. If you are here this morning and you are in an abusive situation... If you or your children are in danger, get out now. Get out. Get safe. Your husband has broken his vow to love you. Do not think that obedience to God means remaining in a situation where you or your children's lives are in danger. That is not biblical. It is not loving. It is not wise. And it is not what Jesus is teaching here. And you need to know something else. You need to know that marriage as an institution in the Roman world, in Jesus' day, was like a disaster. I mean, the emperor, Caesar Augustus, had noticed that Roman men were avoiding marriage in favor of just having all kinds of sexual relationships. Hard to believe men would do that, isn't it? Uh, just for affairs, hard to believe. But in the ancient world, at least, they did. In fact, Caesar was so concerned about the lack of legal sons being born into Roman households, he actually established a law in 18 BC making it mandatory that every Roman citizen had to get married. And if you got divorced uh, within 18 months, you had to get remarried. So as a consequence, divorce was super easy to do and get in the Roman Empire. Again, you just had to walk out the door. I mean, marriage was just in shambles in ancient Rome. And so Paul writes to this little church in Corinth, which was part of the Roman Empire, and he says, don't do that. Don't live that way. Honor your marriage vows. Like, don't sink down to the Roman bar. Live up to God's standard. Even if you've married an unbeliever and you've become a Christian, you seek to honor your, per, your, your promise to that person. In fact, here's the way he says it. This is 1 Corinthians seven fifteen. He says, but if you're married to an unbeliever and the unbeliever leaves, and again, in the Roman world, leaving is a divorce. Let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. In other words, if an unbelieving spouse abandons you, then the marriage is over and you are free to remarry in the Lord. He says a little later, another believer. Now listen, Paul would not understand himself to be amending Jesus or contradicting Jesus. He's not tacking on additional grounds for divorce. He's not adding abandonment to as another grounds for divorce in addition to adultery. He would have understand that he and Jesus were teaching out of the exact same framework that they grew up in. 
See, that the teaching of the Old Testament was that marriage was a vow to do three, one of three things. A vow to be faithful, a vow to provide, and a vow to love. And that divorce in Israel could happen over the breaking of any of those vows, even though God's great hope and intent would be that it would last forever. But the reality is, friends, and all of us know this, we live in a world where vows get broken. And, and God knows that. And so, you know, uh, he makes concession. That does not mean, however, that divorce is okay even if a vow is broken. Sometimes in churches, I hear people get pretty legalistic along these lines. And they say things like, well, you know, my spouse has been unfaithful to me one time. Now, automatically, I have grounds for divorce. Well, not necessarily. Remember, Jesus said the reason for divorce in that case is hard-heartedness right that's a concession see uh, the idea here is that even if a marriage vow is broken if a spouse is repentant if they're soft-hearted if they're willing to reconcile both partners need to do their very very best they need to be all in on rebuilding and restoring that marriage but if there's a spouse who refuses to repent if there's a stubborn hard-hearted defiant decision to reject reconciliation reject intimacy reject god reject rebuilding then it may well be that divorce is the only option and we need to see that as a concession given to us by God because he just knows how painful divorce can be. In fact, I would, I would venture to say that every one of us in the room have been touched and impacted by this thing called divorce. So many of you know that in the seventh grade, my mother died in not my freshman year of high school. My father remarried. He had three kids. He married a woman who had two kids. So we did the Brady Bunch thing only without any of the humor. Four years later, they were divorced, and I was heartbroken. I'd grown to love his uh, first wife as my own mom. Uh, I continue to have a relationship with her. Jackie and I both do. Um, we stay, we've stayed in touch after all these years. And that was painful for me. It was really, really hard. And some of you have had your heart broken by it. Some of you have been beat up by it, and you're wondering, is there any life after divorce? And I want to tell you that there is. There is hope, there is forgiveness, and there is life. And I want to tell you about one more divorce in the Bible and why that divorce is so important for you and me. You know, the most striking picture that the prophets used to describe God's relationship to Israel was that it was a marriage, it was a vow. God made a covenant with Israel because he loved her. And God's part of the vow was, I will provide for you, I will care for you, and I will love you, right? And then, uh, but she was to love God in return. Uh, she was to devote herself entirely to him, be faithful to him. But if you've spent more than about five minutes in the Old Testament, you know that didn't happen. God's people were unfaithful to him over and over and over again. And if you go through the Old Testament, idolatry is all, always spoken of as adultery, like spiritual adultery. Like, so when I make something more important in my life than God, I just cheated on God. I just broke my vows to him. 
And uh, the picture is of a people who just reject God, spurn God over and over and over again. And it leads to one of the most amazing and heart-wrenching statements in all of Scripture. And this is God speaking. This is from the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 3.8. I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all her adulteries. She just, she wouldn't repent. She just stayed hard-hearted. Remember, too, that the certificate of divorce was always there to protect the woman, to protect the bride. Do you understand what God is saying? God is forced to initiate a divorce with unfaithful people. People who have broken their vows over and over again. And they remain hard-hearted in the face of his mercy and his grace. And all of us, if we've been to church, we're familiar with the statement in the book of Malachi where God says, I hate divorce. I mean, a lot of people know that statement. Do you know why God hates divorce? Because he was put in a position where he had to ask for one. He's been through it. I mean, this will blow your mind. If you don't hear the anguish in God's heart, you don't know it yet. God says, I've been through the humiliation of being rejected. I know all about the pain of betrayal. I know all about the repeated anguish of broken vows from hard-hearted people. And so Jeremiah talks about God as a divorcee, but thankfully that divorce will only be temporary. He will, he will buy that bride back because God did something incredible by inventing the first divorce recovery program by dying on a cross. And the price for that course was the shed blood of our risen Savior. See, the reality is that Jesus took the pain and the punishment that you and I deserve for our own unfaithfulness to God, our own spiritual adultery, our own waywardness, so that we could be the new and radiant bride of Christ. Because after that divorce, God made a promise in the book of Hosea. Here's what he said. In that day, declares the Lord, I will betroth you to me forever, forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice and love and compassion. God promised that one day he would make a way to be remarried to his unfaithful bride. But here's what we all have to know. and We've got to know this deep down in our souls. See, every single one of us in this room are on the wrong side of that divorce. Every single one of us have been wayward. Every single one of us have been unfaithful. And that is why any church that divides people up into superior, non-divorced, first-class Christians and inferior, beat-up, divorced, second-class Christians is in theological error and is spiritually destructive. On the most important spiritual level, friends, every single one of us has been unfaithful. God has outed every single one of us through the gospel. We're all divorcees. We all need the cross of Jesus. And by the way, if you're in a marriage today, look, 
I mean, if you've been married longer than five minutes, you know this, but marriage is hard work. It takes resolve. It takes conviction. It takes great effort. It takes great uh, willpower. And so if you're in a marriage, if you're here and you're, you're married today, whether your marriage is struggling right now or it's not, because if it's not right now, it will tomorrow. You need this Jesus. You need his strength. You need his conviction. You need his power. You need his wisdom. You need his mercy. You need his grace. You know why? Because you can't give to your mate what you don't have. And if you don't know God's mercy, you won't show your mate any. If you don't know God's grace, you won't show your mate any. You won't. You will expect them to yield and bend to your every want, need, and desire. And they will expect the same thing of you, and you will eat one another alive without Jesus. You will. You know, maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking about getting married to someone and you're a follower of Jesus and the person you're considering marrying is not. I want to warn you, do not get married to someone who does not share your commitment to Christ. And if you're already in a marriage and you're struggling and you can feel your heart beginning to get hard, listen, if there is a way that we can come alongside you and serve you and love you, We'd love to do that. You know, one of the small groups that we offer is a group on marriage called Love and Respect. We offer biblical counseling. We offer, offer prayer support. We want to come alongside you and we want to help. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been through a divorce. Maybe you fought to avoid it. Maybe you shoulder some of the responsibility and the guilt of that. Well, listen, I need you to hear me say, you can get healing from God. There is a hope. There is a tomorrow. You can know his grace and his forgiveness. You don't have to stay stuck in your anger, your guilt, and your shame. And the reason you don't is because God knows exactly what you're going through, and you can trust in his love. So if you're here and you're coming out of a divorce or, you know, Going into a divorce, we're getting ready to offer a resource here that we call Divorce Care. It's a 13-week support group just to help you process and begin to unpack and heal emotionally and spiritually from the trauma that you've endured. Um, you know, so uh, you can sign up for that at insidescc.org. You go to the upcoming events tab, and you can let us know there that you're interested. All you got to give us is your name, phone number, and email. And we'll get back with you and figure out a time that works best for you, you know, for, for, for a time when the most people can attend. If you don't want to sign up online, Susan Allen uh, is going to be at the back connections desk in the back of our lobby. And you can go meet her and tell her that you're interested and she'll take that information. But the point is, we want to help you find healing and hope. God wants you to find healing and hope. And so listen, let me just say one more thing and then I'm going to start to lay in this plane. If you're here today and you're going through a divorce or you're in a difficult marriage, you don't have to do that alone. You have a Savior. You have a Savior who wants to help you. Yield to Him. Open up your heart to Him. Open up your mind to Him. Be willing to receive the gracious help that he would so desperately want to provide. So, 
here's what I want to do. I want to pray. I want to pray for uh, the marriages in this room. I want to pray for, the, for about marriage in our country. Could you, will you guys pray with me for those things? Hey, God, I don't know where everybody is here today, but uh, it's comforting to know what you've said. And so, Lord, would you raise and elevate our view of marriage? Would you help us to see the sanctity of it, the holiness of it, the beauty of it, one heart committing love to another heart, the things you value most in the kingdom? And so, God, um, if there is somebody here today and they're struggling, would you reach out and take hold of them? Would you draw them close and bathe them in your mercy and grace? Give them strength. Give them wisdom in their marriage. God, if there's somebody here who's come out of a divorce or where divorce is in their background, it's still very painful to talk about. Would you comfort? Would you soothe? You know what they're going through. You've been through it. You were forced into it. So, God, we just thank you that, um, you know, there's nothing that blows into our lives that you don't get, that you don't understand, that you don't know about. And we're thankful, so thankful for that. God, um, just help us as followers of Jesus to be faithful in this area to you, to live out your convictions um, with passion, enthusiasm, and hope. And so, God, do a good thing in our hearts today. Uh, Would you mend some relationships today? Because that's what the kingdom of God is all about. And we ask and pray all of this in the mighty name of our Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.